umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and we have a lot to cover on this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast first we're going to start with josh gaddis press conference about michigan football and then we're going to talk about the ncaa tournament well clint what were your thoughts uh, after listening to Josh Gaddis talk about how the offense is shaping up? Well, uh, I think for me, the first thing, number one, is I, I like listening to Josh Gaddis speak. You know, I think that he's clear. I think that he brings a lot of positive energy, and uh, he seems relatively honest and direct, answers questions that were asked pretty clearly. And, you know, I think that a big bonus um, as a uh, – Sitting on the media side of those uh, exchanges, it's nice, you know, and, and refreshing to not have to try to decode what he's saying. And uh, I just like listening to uh, to the way that he approaches it. So um, that was kind of reaffirmed again, first time that we've seen him this uh, cycle. And uh, I thought that it was a positive uh, event. Obviously, the the initial conversation was about the quarterbacks. I know we'll get into the specifics of that in a little bit. Um, so that was, you know, pretty much what you expected. I, I think that it was a, a little bit of boilerplate, um, but, but you know, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a second. But the biggest thing for me is that he really acknowledged that um, the offense and the defense, um, he used the term complementary football uh, more than once, and uh, that was, was really, really similar to how you and I talk about football games and and how I kind of watch and and discuss the football games that as they're going when we're up in the press box or last season from home seeing how all the different factors uh are kind of working together and and creating the the dynamic that a a football game becomes and he he was pretty clear and talked even specifically about you know a bad start on offense you know they went over six on their first drives in six games didn't score on any of those drives, and the defense was was unsuccessful early in games. Whether it was the first drive or the second drive, they were giving up points. Um, you know, he mentioned six times out of six they were behind seven to nothing, and that changes pretty significantly um, what your game plan is at least early on in, in a football game. So, um, I thought that there was a, a lot there in terms of um, a window into what. Josh Gaddis wants to improve, and we, we can probably infer some things about how uh, he and the offensive staff are going to uh, tweak or, or where they're going to focus on trying to improve um, their game plan, especially early on in games. One of the interesting things that he talked about was, you know, there was a question about how do you expect to rotate your running backs? You know, is it going to be you know, and there's been a lot of questions about this with Mike Hart coming in as running back coach. Are we going to go back to the days where there's basically one horse who's going to carry the load for everybody, one uh, primary guy, or uh, I think the, the term was a very democratic distribution of carries. And what was interesting is, you know, I think that's where uh, he talked about a lot about what they wanted to do on offense, where, you know, they were behind and it did change the way they wanted to do things. And, you know, the, you mentioned that you enjoyed listening to him. One of the things that, that struck me is how passionate and how enthusiastic and how genuine he is. 
And I think part of that is as a younger coach, you know, this isn't his 20th time through the cycle, right? Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, there was some boilerplate, but even when he delivers boilerplate, there's kind of a, of a sizzle to it. So uh, I'm excited for him. I'm excited to see what he's going to bring to the offense. And uh, as you said, you know, one of the most telling things that I thought is he talked about the pressure that sits on the quarterback position, right? And and there were questions. And, you know, he's not going to address directly why Joe Milton retired or, or what kind of discussions happened or whether, he, you know, he was consulted when Joe decided to leave. But, you know, he acknowledged, listen, it's a really tough position. It's one of the things that you and I have talked about on previous podcasts is that, you know, it is a position that can really grind people down. And, you know, he, you know, he alluded to, you know, they get too much of the blame and too much of the credit. But when you have a season like last season where things went off the tracks, um, you know, Joe definitely took his share of, uh, of the blame and, and of the criticism. But, you know, Josh, you know, pointed out, listen, Joe did a lot of good things and he wishes him well. And I think we all wish him well. You know, I mentioned on, on one of the previous editions, I'm disappointed. I was really hoping he was going to come back and compete. I really wanted to see what that big arm was going to do. But, you know, one of the questions was, was there too, is there too much hype around the quarterback position? And, you know, you and I watched Joe Milton warm up. We watched him play in previous years. I don't think the hype destroyed Joe Milton. I think there were genuine... Um, points or, or real reasons to be excited about what he brought to the position. And, uh, you know, I, I, so what I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it was fake. I don't think it was manufactured. And, you know, I think he wanted to put the brakes on any of the, uh, you know, the overhyping of the quarterbacks who are currently on the team. Yeah, that, that was kind of the frame that I remember of the question about Joe Milton once, um, you know, it was good to hear Josh Gaddis speak highly of Joe Milton, even after he's transferred out of the program. Um, you know, I think that shows a certain level of class that, that, you know, is not a surprise, but it's what I would have expected. Um, but the, the framing of that question was, you know, do you want to change how you're going to manage expectations um, and learn your lesson from, from putting too much hype on Joe Milton? And, his answer was very positive about Joe Milton and he never said quite directly, you know, he he didn't say this directly, but the positive praise that he had for Milton says, I don't take any of that back. I think that he is that good. I did think that he was going to be able to make a lot of wild plays, you know, that, that that's, that's part of being the quarterback, um, especially at a, at a, at a big program like Michigan. So, um, it did not sound to me like they're going to change the way that they manage expectations because I, I don't know that I don't know that the the coaching staff is the one that drives those expectations, right? I mean the the whole program and the whole fan base, you know, expects you know great things out of the Michigan football program, the the winningest football program in all of college football, and and that's how they are are branded and marketed and and how we as a alumni of the university feel you know that's that's part of the the whole ball of wax so if you're the quarterback that that's going to be the expectation and it's not going to change so i was fine you know that he answered that question in a way that uh and that kind of 
embraced that that's what the expectation is going to be. And that's not going to change regardless of who's the starter in the fall this coming fall either. You know, it's, that's, it's going to be like that. It's, it's a pressure packed position. Um, I don't think that there was any particular expectations, managing lessons to be learned from the story of Joe Milton. You know, it's just, uh, it didn't work out and he, um, is choosing to try to be successful somewhere else. And it could be a lot of different reasons. Um, I don't know that he's shrinking from the pressure of, of being the Michigan quarterback. It's just, um, you know, he's going to go where he feels he has the best chance to be successful. And I think that that's, uh, you know, part of his prerogative. So I liked the, that answer. Again, if he had clearly or directly said um, something similar to what I said about we're not going to change the expectations for a program and a, and a quarterback position, then uh, – you know, it would have been a little bit more clear cut, but he definitely did not take the bait and follow the path that I think was being set up for him in that question about uh, lowering expectations for this coming fall, um, regardless of who the quarterback is. Well, and and I have to say that question, you know, and again, we talk about how it was framed and how we perceive it, right? Listen, you and I watched Joe Milton, you know, his first couple years, even warming up. There was no exaggerating the strength of his arm. You know, we would talk about the throws he would make in in practice and the the throws he would make in warm up. So I, I kind of I was a little I felt cynical when I heard the question. I'm like, okay, listen, we were we didn't make that up, right? And like you said, it didn't work out. Um, Joe's still a great guy. He graduated from Michigan. He has his degree, and like you said, he's looking for a different situation to move forward. But I don't think that the uh, the coaching staff was mistaken and. You know, I know, you know, we talked about, like, I think back to even Don Brown talked about what a student of the game that Joe Milton was, that he would come and talk to him about how defenses would attack and, and how would he do this and how to do that. So, you know, just because the coaches said a lot of good things and we saw a, a lot of good things, you know, in limited views before he became a starter, that, that doesn't negate that. You know, that wasn't made up. So I, I don't think that Joe Milton has any less talent than, than we thought he did. It, again, it just didn't work out, and I agree with you. I thought the way he handled it was, was very classy. Um, you know, one of the other things is it's very clear that uh, I think when we look at how many early enrollees that Michigan has participating in practice and that nine of them are offensive players, including, you know, uh, Donovan Edwards, you know, one a top-rated recruit at running back. You know, besides, uh, you know, J.J. McCarthy coming in with a lot of hype at quarterback and, um, you know, Joe Milton exiting the stage and um, Cade McNamara, you know, uh, I guess the presumed starter, but, you know, uh, I say that he has the inside rail, right? Um, there's definitely a, a lot of changes coming to the offense. And, I think that's really important, right? Because here we are coming in. Josh Gaddis is the uh, the veteran, you know, between the uh, – since we have a brand-new defensive coordinator, right, uh, the offense is basically, I think, going to have to carry a little bit of the extra load here. And, uh, you know, not having a, a definite quarterback starter returning and having so many new players in the mix, it's definitely going to be something to watch as we move forward. Yep, and, and one last thing that I think he pointed at correctly 
that really hampered um, Michigan's ability to be successful, and he kind of put it onto uh, onto the whole unit and to himself as the coordinators. That just the lack of number of plays that they were able to run uh, in games, and that is something that you and I also talked about um, in both years, uh, in nineteen and in twenty. But uh, I just pulled back up the the numbers that I track, and, and, and remember that I removed garbage time, um, but. In 2019, Michigan averaged about 57 plays a game that were not in garbage time, and that you know there's there was some significant games, uh, blowout games that had uh, a lot of plays removed. So to average 57 in 19 and only 51 in 2020, so uh, you lost on average you know about six meaningful plays on offense per game um, from one year to the next. You know, and that's you're talking you know greater than. 10 percent you know probably closer to 11 or 12 percent of your opportunities to even make plays and 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 snaps for the running back room kind of tying back to that piece that he talked about so not only were there not enough balls to go around but they didn't snap it enough times to go around and he he tied that back to being successful on third down of course uh, extending drives and, and and being successful early on and uh, not getting too far behind the chains, all of that, like I said, is kind of music to, to my ears, or, or at least sounds like he's singing the same song, um, that being efficient is really about staying on track and, and having a success rate that, that uh, lets you take some more chances later in the game and keep your, your whole playbook um, on the table as opposed to falling behind early, having to, you know, move away from the running game and um, and having to take higher risks. Now you've got longer third down plays, right? You got Joe Milton's got to push the ball down the field without really any of the underneath options available. So it, it's complementary football, um, or in the case of 2020, the lack of complementary football, and things spiraled. That's, that's for certain, and he uh, – he was pretty clear um, when, when he stated that he understood how that happened and, and what they want to do to to try to change that um, this coming fall. So, we'll uh, it'll it'll provide a lot of uh, fodder for us to talk about um, as we get ready to ramp up for games in the fall, um, because early on success rate is is clearly something that um, Josh Gaddis thinks is going to be key to to the Wolverines being able to put up more points this year. What was interesting is listening to, and again, trying to read between the lines, right? There was a question about, uh, you know, players have alluded there's a special energy this year. And, you know, part of me thinks that, yeah, there's energy just because, you know, we're, we've all been going through COVID, right? We had that abysmal season last year you know, abbreviated where the season was on and then it was off and then it was disappointing. So I think that a certain amount of the energy is this, the players are back in a more regular routine and, um, you know, hopefully we can see the end of, of uh, the worst of COVID and, you know, we can see things opening up. But it's interesting that Josh Gaddis mentioned specifically, yeah, you know, on one hand, you know, if you're recruiting guys who aren't excited about playing football, then you're probably recruiting the wrong guys, right? We have the right guys here at Michigan. But did acknowledge that they are mixing things up, 
doing things to uh, break up some of the monotony and, and energize the team. And, you know, you and I talked about, you know, when they changed the coaching staff, when this coaching staff kind of flipped and is now skewing younger, I wonder if um, one of the things that Jim Harbaugh was trying to do was uh, perhaps they had fallen into kind of a routine, right? And it's interesting to hear Josh Gattis uh, acknowledge that they are changing things and, and trying to to bring some different things in. Because, you know, one of the things we know about um, Coach Harbaugh, and it's interesting because some of the players were even mentioning this in the one-on-one uh, interviews, is that they measure everything, right? You have analytics on everything. You know what, how many times you've run the drill, where you are in the rank, ranking to everybody else. And to a certain extent, that can get really tiring, right? So it's interesting that while they're not going to give up on the analytics, they're also trying to uh, reintroduce some of the passion, some of the excitement of playing the game. So I thought it was inter- interesting to hear him acknowledge uh, that there had been some changes and it wasn't just, you know, spring enthusiasm or, or post-COVID enthusiasm that the players were alluding to. Right. I think I think that part of the uh, conversation was even specific to a question about the new quarterback coach, um, Matt Weiss, right, that has shown um, a long history of being involved in the analytics, both uh, doing the research and then the implementation on game days in Baltimore uh, on John Harbaugh's staff. So, I, I think that that's, that's a positive also. And one other thing that I was pretty uh, encouraged by was, was the positive relationship that, that kind of shone through between Josh Gaddis and Sharon Moore. One of the riskier uh, decisions from Harbaugh and, and, and the staff from last year into this year is to you know, let um, Ed Warner you know, walk and, and sign a contract uh, elsewhere and to move Sharon Moore not only from tight ends to offensive line, which is certainly a, a bigger responsibility, but also adding the offensive coordinator title uh, and responsibility, which is something uh, Josh Gaddis obviously is um, familiar with. He, uh, he had that title at Alabama under Mike Loxley and, and Nick Saban. So um, hearing him talk, uh, positively and and kind of another ringing endorsement of what Sharon Moore brings to the table as a coach and uh, the success that he expects to see uh, from the offensive line uh, under Sharon Moore is, is good to hear. Again, you can't win games and, and run the ball for five yards of carry in a, in a March press conference, so I, I don't want to oversell it, but I'm glad to hear positive things about their relationship and that he was a, a, a proponent and an advocate for that move um, as opposed to not hearing it or, or wondering whether it was forced on to get us, uh, you know, by Harbaugh. So uh, it's another positive sign that, uh, that those guys are, are working closely together, have a really strong uh, personal coaching uh, relationship and friendship. And uh, obviously they're going to do everything they can to support uh, Sharon Moore in this new role, um, and, and we will see how that works out. Again, there's a, there's a little bit of a story to tell there for Michigan running the ball the last few seasons. They were okay, never great, never great, but but okay. So it will be very, very interesting to be able to compare the running game in 
21 to the last few seasons um, with Ed Warner as the as the offensive line coach and see if there's a significant difference uh, up or down or if, if there's just kind of a floor and a ceiling that, that are close together. So that's another thing as we get closer to game time that uh, you and I will probably be laying out a little bit more clearly and uh, see um, how we can compare and, and We'll be we'll be able to tell pretty quickly uh, once the season starts whether uh, there's success up front, uh, especially compared to the last few seasons. So what's interesting to me is, and, and listen, we're both agreed that you can't you don't win any games in spring press conferences, right? But the thing that I'm impressed by in the in the different energy and the enthusiasm is, I think back to. Uh, the end of Brady Hoke's tenure, right? Where, um, you know, Brady Hoke was really forced to bring in some changes on the offensive side of the ball, okay? And specifically, I, I'm, I'm talking about Doug Nussmeyer, right? And I remember that spring, um, Nussmeyer would talk and Brady Hoke would talk, and it really the sense I had is that it was a really forced marriage, right? Like there was not a lot of happiness, like, uh, um, you know, and, and again, it, it's hard to explain. Like you can go back. I was listening to the transcripts and everything on the paper sounded good. Right. But when you went back and pulled some of the audio clips, you could tell that it just, it was, well, boy, we sure hope this works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, what was interesting is, you know, when uh, Coach Gaddis was asked about Coach Moore, immediately support. Oh, man, I've known him. This is going to be great. Looking forward to working together. And you could almost sense that it was a relief that um, that the right move had been made, right? Like this was something that had more of an upside than a downside. So now, again, you know, and, and we'll keep repeating this. You know, again, you don't win games in the spring, but right now it sounds good, right? And it sounds like that they're moving in the right direction. And, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, I, I, I find interesting is that there seems to be a lot of chatter. There's always a lot of chatter on who the starting quarterback is or who the leading quarterback candidate is. But the reality is, is that I think if you look back at the last – several seasons and actually for most of the last five or 10 years, you need at least two quarterbacks and perhaps even three. So I'm starting to worry less about who the, the starter or the presumed starter is and more on what the population of quarterbacks looks like, if that makes sense. Whereas um, it used to be, well, you got your starter and there was a huge drop off thereafter, right? I don't think we're in that position anymore. And, uh, you know, I wonder, and and this isn't about Joe Milton, but I, I think back to the other times we've had quarterbacks transfer. I wonder if it's quarterbacks want to go to a, a, a situation where they are the presumed starter and, and, and think they're going to get, you know, 80 or 90% of the snaps. Whereas if you look at a team like Michigan, they're, uh, you know, not only due to injury, but due to situation, they've shown they will switch quarterbacks up. And I think back to, 
For example, when Wilton Spate didn't come back for his senior year or his final year, he had one year of additional eligibility, eligibility at Michigan, you know, they made it clear you're going to have to come and compete, and, and he transferred and went somewhere else. So I wonder if one of the things that's impacting um, the, uh, I guess, the the irritation or, or the grinding down at quarterback is, listen, you're always going to have to compete. And what I take from that is I really look at the top two or three guys and wonder how they're doing. Yeah, I, I think that that's a valid point. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know that somebody transferring out is, is immediately related to whether or not they wanted to compete uh, as opposed to maybe seeing the results of that competition and then deciding to go somewhere else where they can compete again. And, you know, okay, so I lost this one time to go somewhere else and try to win a starting job. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different things obviously happening behind the scenes in terms of the depth chart that we can only kind of, uh, you know, guess or, or provide conjecture. So, um, you know, but I haven't seen yet that the quarterback that transferred out and, and, and took off like a rocket ship as if Michigan had, had missed, you know? Um, so, We'll see how that happens uh, or how Joe Milton's uh, career progresses. I think, again, it's capable. He's very capable of kind of taking off and being a superstar. Um, So we'll see how that goes. Uh, But your point is is well taken that uh, the competition piece at Michigan, um, I don't know that it's unique, but um, even when you've proven yourself to be the starter in year one, year two, it doesn't necessarily guarantee your spot uh, at the top of the depth chart in year three, four, and five. So uh, I, that is certainly uh, related to the state of flux that we see at quarterback. And, and, and related also, I think I want to make sure that I that I double back and, and I'm clear that uh, in regards to the new staff coming in and, and the opportunity to make a lot of improvements and, and, and build on what is there, I think, again – um, we talked about this even more so on the defensive side. I, I don't want that to come off as any type of, of slight toward the, the coaches that were here before and specifically, um, you know, Don Brown on the defensive side and Ed Warner on the offensive line. Those guys were very well-known coaches, uh, very, very capable coaches and did superb jobs in the role that they were, they, they were given. And Don Brown was, uh, in the running for assistant of the year multiple times while at Michigan. So um, to, I, I don't want that to be construed at all as any type of slight, but also um, in order to build on uh, you know, the level that those guys had established uh, it's possible that a change uh, can kind of shake that up and, and enable uh, improvement there. But it's, it's risky because those guys had pretty well established solid floors um, to their performance and uh, bringing in somebody new and, and less experienced in those roles um, could also, you could drop below that floor that we had before. So um, there's a lot of, a lot of high risk, high reward dynamic with this team and this coaching staff. And, and that's why right now you and I are talking about enthusiasm and excitement. And um, that's, that's one of the benefits of, of the shakeup. So we should, try to ride that wave here through the the spring and into the summer and let's hope and and pray that it turns into positive results above and beyond what we've seen recently uh, once we get to the fall.
Absolutely. And uh, while Michigan football is in spring practice, the Michigan Wolverine basketball team is in the uh, the big tournament. Tournament is in full swing, and the action hasn't disappointed. So uh, kind of interesting that we saw Michigan State and Ohio State exit the tournament early. What did you think about that, Clint? Well, uh, no tears shed in my house. Um, my my one bracket was, was busted immediately. I had Ohio State going all the way to the final, um, and I never never tore up a bracket with a bigger smile on my face. So uh couldn't happen to a nicer program. And uh, you know, there there was a little bit of backlash and some 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 heat on Twitter directed at one of Ohio State's players, um, one of their more talented players, Liddell. And that that is truly, you know, awful to see. So as much as I like to uh, to joke about the rivalry, especially with Ohio State and Michigan State, uh directing vitriol at players on social media or in any other fashion is ridiculous and uh um i did uh put some stuff out there on on twitter that was in support of that particular player and any player at any school um shouldn't have to deal with that stuff but uh for for me personally um crossing off ohio state on all the brackets was a personally satisfactory i would would have rather that bracket come to fruition because i had a Michigan beating Ohio State for the title, which would have been all kinds of uh, demon exercising there for for guys like you and me. But um, th- it was uh, it was fun to watch, exciting, obviously the March Madness, and uh, doesn't bother me one bit to see the Spartans and the Buckeyes go down in the first round. Absolutely. So as a uh, as a given, every year I-, I take an attitude on my brackets that. They're going to be busted anyway, so I always pick Michigan State to lose their first game. So it was awesome to have my tournament not be busted. Uh, you know, I was a little concerned when they were up at halftime, but, you know, uh, they ended up losing in overtime, so that bracket was preserved. And Ohio State did bust a large part of my bracket. What was interesting is it doesn't surprise me that they lost early. Um, you know, seeing the kind of way they fell apart against Michigan, uh, you know, at the end of the game, I mean, at, at you know, during the Big Ten tournament, and they held on to win. But to me, they always seemed like they were real, a real hot and cold team. But I never expected them to lose to Oral Roberts, right? I mean, that's it. Expecting a team to lose early in the tournament is one thing, but to lose that early uh, is is was kind of a surprise. So, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. It's that simple. Turning $1 into $100 is 100 to 1 odds. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot. That means you can't pick Michigan State or Ohio State, sorry. And uh, pick any team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100 All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry. If college basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has 101 odds on select fighters for this weekend's UFC 260. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code 
Go Blue when you sign up to turn $1 into $100. If the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win, that's code Go Blue to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Gambling Disorder Helpline at 800-270-7117. 21 and over, Michigan only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full terms and conditions. So, Clint, in addition to the action that we saw on the court, um, there were a couple interesting things off the court that uh, got some attention. Um, I think uh, most importantly, injured Wolverine Isaiah Livers, uh, who we really hope somehow is able to come back from his foot injury, would definitely help uh, the team's chances, um, was wearing a not NCAA property shirt hashtag um, on the sidelines. And he's one of the three players basically pushing, uh, raising awareness that uh, wanting to help players or put players in a position to to benefit from their likeness and image and uh, force the NCAA to action. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I think, first off, I would start personally for Isaiah Livers, you know, uh, a really strong um, commendation for me for, for Isaiah Livers to take such a visible and active leadership role on something that he believes in, um, you know, and we'll talk more about the specifics and what we think and agree or disagree with, and we, that's certainly up to every individual to make their own decisions on that. But for him to uh, kind of take a step forward into a leading role, not only on, on this team, but also across the whole national landscape and really an issue that cuts across uh, multiple sports um, and, and amateurism as a whole. You know, that's a that's a big spotlight that that he has stepped into and embraced uh, the challenge of trying to be a leader. And, and that's that's really a big part of, of what we value about the type of people that um, are involved at the University of Michigan. So a lot of kudos to him for taking a, a leadership role like that and, and becoming um, kind of one of the faces of that, uh, even though he's fighting a, a, an injury. You know, uh, particularly for me, and you know, my views on this are, are pretty well uh, documented in our conversations here, I, I think that this is you know, a little bit of the tip of the iceberg, you know, and, and maybe maybe we've gotten past the tip of the iceberg and we're starting to reveal more and more what uh, what's below the surface. This is not going to go away. You know, the legislation about name, image, and likeness is just starting to kind of uh, come to fruition, uh, having passed in multiple states and gaining traction at a federal level. This is the only issue that I can think of legitimately that kind of unites people across ideologies, people right of center, people left of center, people from the Republican Party, people from the Democratic Party. The only thing that can unite all of those folks is uh, their opposition to the NCAA stance on um, making money off of the backs of unpaid college athletes. Um, the the scholarship and education as, as compensation is certainly a significant portion 
and I don't mean to minimize what uh, benefits the athletes and players and, and um, those guys are getting from uh, their, their participation in sports right now, for sure. But um, when you compare the overall revenue, that piece of the pie, and, and see how much of it is actually going towards um, the players who are again they're the, the name and face right we're not watching we're, we're, we're not watching Ward Manuel or um, you know Ryan Day or Jim Harbaugh right we're not watching these guys out there competing it's it, it's players it's kids that are 18 to 22 or 23 years old and some of them will never have an opportunity to, to cash in on the fame that they have right now. Um, and that's, uh, it, it's certainly, um, not equitable, uh, in its current stance. So I think there's a lot, this is just the, the first, the first inning, so to speak of, of what's about to happen with all of this. So I think there's a lot of change that's necessary and I'm hoping that there's a lot coming. And um, this is uh, a very needed first step. And again, I'm happy that there's a Michigan man right out in front and center. Uh, and kudos to Isaiah Livers. Absolutely. Completely agree. Um, you know, one of the things that if there's any good that's come from COVID, it has put a, uh, a spotlight on how important the players are to the process to the NCAA because we have seen or, and we're in the process of seeing the huge financial implications when there aren't games. So in kind of a way you're seeing kind of a, a COVID you're seeing a strike like impact without a strike, right? By having so many games delayed and, and put off and, and seasons abbreviated. The NCAA and, and uh, university presidents are seeing, listen, this. imagine what would happen if the players didn't play. Look, look at the huge problem you would have in your budgets, right? And I think that the players have a unique position now to negotiate and get some more equitable uh, terms, right? So, and I, I think that you know, it's interesting when you talk about this situation, um, and, and Clint, I'll be very clear, okay? My view over the last 25 years has completely shifted on this issue, right? Um, I would say 20, 25 years ago, I was one of the people who would make the argument, hey, the degree... Um, the opportunities, the, uh, the support you get as an athlete is a pretty good deal, right? But over the last 20 years, as I've had the opportunity to see what these players go through um, firsthand and see the toll that it takes on their personal and, and uh, you know, their, their physical, uh, you know, the, the injuries, they, they uh, the physical beating they take over the course of a season, and the biggest thing that's changed for me is the explosive growth in the revenues. The, the ledger has completely shifted, right? There's so much money being generated by the NCAA and the universities. And um, 
there's just no doubt that 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 uh, there needs to be a, a reckoning. There needs to be a, a, there needs to be a shift. Okay, and and like I said, I, I'm uh, my view is totally shifted on this over the last twenty or twenty five years, and I, I don't think that there's any way that the NCAA can avoid. Um, now, I, I will tell you that I also have uh, single digits. I, my belief that the NCAA would would do this without outside pressure is in the the single digit of percentage points, right? I, I have very little faith in the NCAA. I think that it's going to take um, efforts like this hashtag, and and you know we're really seeing the power uh, that social media has given to players that didn't exist twenty or twenty five years ago, right? We had an example this weekend where. Um, one of the women participating in the women's NCAA tournament showed the difference in facilities, right? You know, for the workout facility for, uh, for her team was a single uh, barbell bench, okay? I mean, it was a joke. And then you could see the comparison between what the men had, right? And what's hilarious to me is who at the NCAA thought – that one bench of barbells would be good for anybody, right? I mean, if you were building a home gym, you you that you would have way more than that, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was interesting to me that somehow, even in this day and age, with everything going on, somebody at the NCAA thought they could check a box and that was going to satisfy the requirement, right? But, you know, they took to social media and uh, the situation albeit should have never had to have been fixed, but it has been fixed, right? And we can only hope that um, this this hashtag and this effort, um, not NCAA property, um, will have a similar impact on, uh, on you know, the men's sports and all sports for NCAA because it really is uh, the disparity in the revenue that's being brought in to that, uh, to the people who are who are uh, generating the revenue or being, um, you know, like you said, who's the show? Okay, nobody's watching, tuning in to watch Mark Emmerich, right? Nobody's tuning in to watch Ward Manuel. Um, you know, if if uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, I was thinking, uh, you know, to kind of take it to a larger analogy. You know, there was a whole bunch of stuff in in uh, online about Joe Biden tripped when getting on an airplane, right? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not worried about Joe Biden's ankle right now. The only ankle or foot I'm worried about is Isaiah Livers, okay? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. it's just one of those things where, you know, here it is. He's a senior, and you hope that he goes on to some kind of a pro career. But, you know, it's interesting that this, if this effort takes off, it may be the biggest impact that he has as a player. And, and again, I wish him well. And, again, to what, you're sa- to what you said, I'm really glad that, that a Michigan player is – is at the forefront and, and supporting such a, a a worthwhile effort. Yep, and, and there's 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 all this is the top line conversation, of course, compensation and, and the huge revenue in football, basketball, and, and a handful of other sports. You know, but um, you know, it, there's a lot of trickle down also that affects all athletes at the NCAA uh, institutions and in all sports. Um, you know, there, there are lots of NCAA rules that, that we've discussed uh, in passing and, and have been pretty roundly mocked 
about you know whether a, a, a player can have cream cheese on a bagel uh, or if that's an impermissible benefit and, and the differences in how some schools and conferences recruit in football at the Division One level as opposed to others and who's willing to, to bend the rules, who's willing to pretend the rules don't even exist. All of that is part of this conversation about how the NCAA has established a system that is built on control um, but really only nominally um, and and without any real uh, enforcement. And then when it comes to, you know, being equitable in the distribution of of the actual needs of different sports and also in, in, in revenue and, and sharing of revenue and, and who is actually making profit off of this uh, or making a living off of that revenue uh, within a nonprofit organization, you know, there, there are deeper conversations. But um, for athletes in college right now, one of the things that they are barred from doing is uh, running instructional camps um, that, that may be possible. So um, there are opportunities because of these outdated and, and um, you know, incorrect, in my opinion, uh, amateurism rules. You know, uh, there are, are volleyball players and wrestlers and baseball players and softball players that could be running camps and supporting kids in their hometown neighborhoods and, uh, you know, starting, you know, small businesses, uh, in the off season with, with, you know, providing training and, and specialized instruction. And all of that is impermissible because they can't, um, they can't maintain their eligibility as an NCAA athlete and, and do a lot of those things. Uh, and some of those rules, are all wrapped into the same conversation. So it, it's larger than just, you know, football players should be happy with a scholarship or basketball players, you know, um, don't stay and graduate anyway. And, and, and some of the other oversimplified, um, you know, underthought tropes that, that get out there when this conversation comes up, there's a lot of layers to it. And it really ends up uh, affecting all of the sports, all of the athletes and What's going to be required is a shift, um, similar to what you said, uh, a shift in the way that we think about it is what's necessary and, and then figure out the best way to restructure the system um, to, to, to be the, as equitable as possible for everybody, but also to make sure that you're, you're respecting and valuing the people that are doing the heavy lifting here that's providing the money machine for the NCAA. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, I hope that Michigan goes on and has success in the NCAA tournament. And I hope that somehow Isaiah Livers, you know, returns to the court. But either way, I hope that he uh, has an impact with this. And I hope that, uh, that this is one of the things that, you know, when we look back, you know, post-COVID, that we're able to uh, hopefully see that this was the beginning of of uh, equity being, uh, you know, adopted or or I'll, I'll say it forced on the NCAA because again I, I don't uh, I have I have a very dim view of the organization uh, doing things just for the right reasons, but hopefully uh, this can be forced and and hopefully uh, this will be a good thing for all. Yep, if you know, all's well that ends well. So I, I agree with you. If we get to a better spot, 
going forward, then then that's that's what we can do right now because can't can't go back and change the past, but we should definitely capitalize on the opportunity that that we have right now to revisit these things. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the umgoblue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for umgoblue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.